Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Habakkuk says, I will watch to see what he will say to me. Sometimes you need to see the word. Not to hear the word. I will watch to see what he will say. You see what he says. In other words, if you can perceive it, whenever God speaks, it's not just the hearing thereof, it's the perception. And if, when he speaks, a thing can become revelation to you. You've not just heard it, but you've seen it. Many people hear, but few people have, have seen. John says, that which we have heard and seen, and with our hands have handled of the word of life, him we declare to you. In his epistle, he said that. That which we have heard, seen, and with our hands have handled, even the word of life, him we declare unto you. For the past few weeks, two or three now, in this subsection on grace, which we've subtly detoured into, we will come back to kingdom economics if the Lord leads us there later. But it was a detour away from that into a revisit of some aspects of the grace of God that we are here. And um, we've been talking about the intent of God to help us. And I've been speaking variously. This is the third segment in this particular emphasis on the fact that God is our help. Psalm 121 verse 2 says, My help comes from the Lord, the maker of, of heaven and earth. I want to quickly just rehearse a few concepts. He who seeks to help you, his credentials are, I made heaven and I made earth. So is he fit to help? Yes or no? So a guy with credentials like that, you made the heavens, you made the earth, Therefore, you are most eligible, most powerful, um, most resourceful to help. And I always want to encourage you last week, I said, don't magnify your problems in the face of an unlimited, powerful God. Magnify your God, which will then diminish your problems. Don't magnify the problem and so diminish your perception of the Lord. And I really want to encourage you, this takes more practice. It's a nice sounding phrase. But nice-sounding phrases must become practical reality. Amen? I know the, in the apostolic we're given to principles. The book of Solomon, for example, is a well-written book of proverbs, proverbial sayings. He coined phrases. And you know he also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? And there he says, Give the preacher well-driven words. He, his desire was, I'm going to communicate stuff to people, but I need words to package them in. Short phrases, proverbs. Proverbs are short phrases, power-packed. Okay, power-packed punch phrases. And he made the prayer in Ecclesiastes when he said, The preacher, which is himself, sought for words like well-driven nails. Right? Uh, before, we used to throw stones with words. We stone you. Now we nail you. Right? He says, give me words, and it's, a, it's not to, see, when you throw stones with your words, you destroy. But when you nail with your words, you build. Because the, the, the image is an architectural, constructive image, nailing to build something. Okay? So when Solomon prayed, he said, give the preacher sword for words like well-driven nails. Right? And he expresses that when he writes the Proverbs. Isn't the book of Proverbs a phenomenal book? Yeah? Right? Just short phrases. One phrase can, can blow up a whole lot of, of principles. Solomon had that ability to nicely coin phrases. If Solomon had a Facebook account, right? With all those proverbs, he's, you'll probably have 10 million followers. And you'll probably crash Facebook <laughs> with all of the activity on his. Because the sad thing about Solomon, though, could capture nice things, couldn't live it. Couldn't live the life, right? And his, his end, he went down into a path of destruction. And my passion is, 
let's not just say, for example, don't magnify your problem in the face of a magnificent God. Rather magnify the magnificent God and so diminish your problem. He who seeks to help you made the heavens and the earth. That sounds all airy-fairy and nice to say. But you must live the thing. You must walk the thing. When you're faced with the problem, then the test comes. Well, now that principle that you coined on your Facebook status, will that thing now work practically within your, within your life? Amen? So the word must become flesh in your flesh. Must become flesh in your flesh. Must become flesh in your life. Okay? That's the issue. Then we said that, um, uh, for example, when, when Abraham blessed Melchizedek, or rather the other way, Melchizedek blessed Abraham, he referenced God as the possessor of the heavens and the earth. It's not just the maker of the heavens and the earth, but God is the possessor of the heavens and the earth. Okay? I want to come back to a few things. Let me just, in the midst of recapping, just add a few more thoughts. Because I really want to get to something very powerful that I believe will bless you um, immensely. Psalm 46 verse 1. I shared this with you this morning on the group. says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. I love this verse. You see, His help is defined in Phrases like refuge and, and strength. And he's a present help. He's not an absent help. He's a present help, not an absent help. I like the way the word is, how the word couches these things. When you were in school and your class teacher took a register and the class teacher said, Randolph Barnwell, you shouted, present. You could not shout absent because you weren't there, if you were absent. Right? So the fact that you say present means your physical, uh, your physical body is in close proximity. You're in the midst. When, this, when God says, I'm a very present help, He's saying literally, I'm not an absent help. And I'm not just present, I am very present. Like, you know, I don't know if you had some people in class, you call their name, and they shout, yes, sir! Right? To make a joke of things. That's like very present. <laughs> it's not like present, I'm here. And I let the world know. When God says He's a very present help, He's literally saying to you, I am substantive. The Greek or Hebrew rather for very means this. Listen carefully. It means great, greatly, abundantly, mightily, or powerfully. Think about it. It's not just saying very present. He's saying mightily present, abundantly present, greatly present. And God saw that everything He made was very good. Right? Was good and very good when He made man. Okay? So it gives emphasis to the reality. The New American Standard uh, Bible, if you have one, and you're reading this text, Above the word very present, you'll see a marginal rendering there. And the marginal rendering of the NASB says this. It says, abundantly available. Everyone say this with me, abundantly available. When you listen to me this morning, let the revelation sink into your heart and mind. Repeat after me. God is abundantly available to help. It's not like His help. He's saying, if you only get a revelation of my person as help. I'm not just present, I am very present. I'm abundantly available to help. And please, when I teach, I want to encourage you, may the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. Because I tell you, trouble is waiting for you this year. And when you, when you hit trouble, what are you going to need? You're going to need, will this world be absent of trouble? No, there will always be trouble. But in the midst of trouble, there will always be something called a very present help. And I'll show you in a moment, the word trouble, let me get to it now while we're speaking about it. The word trouble literally is sarah in the Hebrew, and it means to distress or in distress and in anguish. I've been there a lot last year. How about you? Had some trouble lately? Yeah? Some of you are praying double for my trouble. But I got double trouble for the previous trouble I had. <laughs> right? It's like this thing is growing. 
Everyone say distress and anguish. Right? Distress, um, anguish. The NSB marginal rendering says in a tight place. Who feels like they're in a tight spot? Like no way out of this one. If God doesn't come through, I'm kaput. God doesn't come through now, I am finished. I'm going to speak this word as an impartational teaching to you. Because God spoke to me very clearly for the past few weeks now that He will help us in 52 days. Dr. Segi confirmed it last night. He said three months. Hmm? He said three, I said two. 52 days is about two months, right? But when he said that, when he said that last night at my birthday party, the blessing of Obadidim again for this house will, will be revisited as a prophecy to us starting from yesterday. So you can count. What was yesterday's date? 17th of February. You can count 17th of February, 17th, March 17th, April 17th, May. I want to encourage you to build your faith. Have a spirit of expectancy within you. Okay? I'll share with you this impression more thoroughly and rooted in God's word in a moment. All I'm saying to you, this year some trouble is coming. And everybody said? <laughs> yeah? This year trouble is coming. You see, you don't need help if you don't have trouble. Help is designed to meet you in, in trouble. I will lift up my... God is a very present help in the time of trouble. Hebrews 6, 4 says, Come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy, but to find grace. In where, what times? In time of need. Scripture speaks about times of trouble and times of need in which grace given through help finds its most powerful expression. I shared with you, and let me just, just go through a few things. I'm going to come back to this because uh, I believe in a very prophetic mode this morning, so I don't want to stick rigidly to my notes in systematic fashion. I just want to hear and be obedient to what the Spirit of the Lord uh, says to us. I said to you, how does help come to you? How? Through which person of the Godhead? The Holy Spirit. He is defined as the helper in the New Testament. The parakletos. The sucker. He brings to sucker you, to undergird you, to sustain you. So don't offend the very person that is designed to help you. And the scripture says that we must not grieve the, the Holy Spirit. Just quickly go there. Ephesians 4, 25. I just want to revisit this because I'm, I sense, you see, that's a powerful song we sang there, one of my favorite help songs, right? My help comes. You can sing that with gusto. You can sing that with great emotional content, even with great sincerity. But if you leave these doors and if you offend the Holy Ghost or you grieve the, the Holy Ghost, guess what? You are grieving the very personage uh, through whom help is designed to be meted out to you, right? Repeat after me. The Holy Spirit is my helper. The help you see comes from He, the person of the Holy Ghost. So, therefore, laying aside falsehood. Everyone say falsehood. Tell your neighbor, lay aside falsehood. I'm going to read this scripture to the end of, I think, verse 32. But listen carefully. In the midst of all of this, Paul would say boldly, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So my question is, what things do grieve him? Because he puts that statement almost like in a very unsystematic fashion of his writing. He's speaking a whole lot of things and he says, grieve not the, the Spirit. To grieve is to frustrate. Do you know that the Holy Spirit got emotions? He feels. He's very sensitive. He's likened unto a dove. So don't grieve the dove. Right? So the first thing I want to highlight to you is falsehood. Just, just bluntly tell your neighbor, stop telling lies. Like, it's like, this is like, I know this is the Bible, but it's simply saying, stop lying. Simple. Stop telling lies. Even white lies. There's no such a thing in my economy. A lie is a lie is a lie is a lie. Right? It's not even, we got nice words like, oh, it was simply, the facts were misrepresented. Oh, you told lies. The facts were misrepresented is a nice way of trying to take the sting out of, you told lies. Right? Now listen carefully. I say this to you by the Spirit of the Lord. If you are lying at any level, any level, you're lying in paying your tithes, your first fruits, 
You're saying 1,000 rand tithe. Yet it's not a tithe. You're lying in reference to filling out your tax returns to SARS, misrepresenting your income, misrepresentation at all costs. Don't, I, I don't know why this, the Holy, this is not part of I want to, what, what I wanted to focus on, but I want to encourage you, if you are lying at any level, listen carefully, you're going to grieve the Holy Spirit. You're grieving the very person through whom help is designed to come to you and to your context. Don't grieve him, right? Don't say uh, when someone calls you, tell, tell him I'm not here. Tell, you know, your child answers, tell them I'm not here. Oh, <laughs> don't. <laughs> the typical case, my mother says she's not here. Don't miss, you know, Pastor Thomas' series on righteousness is hitting home like you can't believe. And you must, I will have the series here next week. Every aspect of your life must be righteous, right? Don't think of another woman when you're making love to your wife or your husband. Only have passion and love for them only, right? Be righteous and holy in everything that you are, you're doing, okay? So again, say no falsehood. Then it says, let's just carry on reading here. Speak the truth. One of you with his neighbor, we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Now, there goes your angry days. Tell your neighbor your angry days are over. Not permitted. I know it says be angry and sin not, but that's got to be understood in context. I know there's something called righteous indignation. David said he was righteously angered for a particular cause, and that has a, sp- a specific place. But carnal anger gives opportunity to the devil. It opens the door to the devil for his work to be operative. In fact, one of the requirements for an elder, a leader in the house of God, if you're an elder, the Bible says you must not be soon angered. If something irritates you and you fly off the handle, you've disqualified yourself for leadership. Yeah? All right? Let's go on quickly. I'm taking too long with this. Just go on. He who steals must steal no more. Oh, I tell your neighbor, there goes your theft days. <laughs> huh? No more stealing, guys. If they say take one pen, don't take two pens. <laughs> if you're withholding your tithe, you are a thief. God says you've stolen from me. Right? It's no more stealing. He who steals must steal long, no longer, but don't just... Not steal, but you must labor, performing with your own hands what is good, and he will give. You will have something to, to share or to give, with the one who has need. So it's not just saying don't steal, don't steal, but desire to work so you can have something to practice kingdom economics. You can have something to give before your passion was steal, steal, steal. Now work, have some stuff. So you can be a distribution center. You can now start to to give. Then it goes on. So let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Foolish talking, callous speaking, grieves the Holy Spirit. But such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who, who hear. Now, this is a big one. I find most Christians here offend the Holy Ghost every day. If in your conversation, all you do is talk and scandal about somebody else, you're grieving the Holy Ghost. Putrid is the word translated in the Greek, which in English is unwholesome. Let no putrefying word, putrid, foul-smelling word, released, be released from your, from your speaking. But when you speak, what must flow forth? Grace to the grace to the hearers. Okay? Go on. So no more unwholesome speech. Okay? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Paul is saying, He, the help that you so need, can be grieved by all of these things. He would go on to say the following in the next verse. Let all bitterness. There goes your bitter day. All bitterness, all wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all, along with all malice. But be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, as God in Christ also forgave you. My passion is, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. 
I don't want to grieve the very person that's going to give me the help that I need. So I will obey this passage to the hilt. I want to encourage you, Ephesians 4, from what we just read now, 25 to 32, is a key passage that you must install into your spirit and say, God, I'm going to walk by these principles. For in doing so, you, give, you do two things. You don't give the devil an opportunity, it says. It doesn't have a chance. And you're not grieving the spirit, but you're allowing him ample latitude and power in which to move within your life. So I will take any opportunity to forgive somebody, to practice uh, forgiveness and to honor anyone, um, even uh, an enemy, you, you honor them. The Bible says love your, love your enemies and love is a demonstrable word. It's a doing, it's an action word. What are you doing? You are making sure when I hit trouble, and trouble I will hit, when I hit that thing one day, there's nothing in my life that's preventing the powerful flow of aid, of help. The Holy Spirit is going to surely help me when I, when I need it. Okay? Now, I want to encourage you, be humble. Tell someone, be humble. Right? Go to first, uh, uh, sorry, Psalms. Let's call it first. Psalm 5, verse 1 to 3 says, Psalm 5, verse 1 to 3. Give ear to my words, O Lord. And consider my medi, my groaning, sorry, I'm reading. I've memorized this in King James. Groaning is a guttural meditative sound. So some versions say, give ear to my meditation. Okay. Psalm 5, verse 1. Give ear to my words and consider my groaning. Hear the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God for to you will I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will order my prayer to you and will eagerly watch. Now go back to verse 2. You know, sometimes, and let me just say this to you, if you've never experienced this, you're going to have to at some stage. God will allow you to experience such trouble to shape His character in you. In those times, you will learn what it is to cry for help to God. And sometimes the cry will then need to be heard because it's not just a quiet internal, Lord, help me. You get so desperate, lock yourself in your room, in your place of prayer, you lift up your hands, and you say, God, help! Help me, God. David went through this several times in his life, if you know his life story, and he said, hear the sound. Everyone say the sound. So there's, there's a cry that is heard it's a cry for, it's a cry for help, okay? It's an intense cry for help. Just go quickly to Psalm 18 verse 6, and I'll come back to this verse in a moment. Psalm 18 verse 6 says the following. In my distress, everyone say distress. Say tight place, right? Some of you are between a rock and a hard place. No way forward, no way back, no maneuverings to the side, right? Talking about that kind of distress, in my tight place, I called upon the Lord. I cried to my God for help. And he heard my voice. My vo Everyone say voice. Heard my voice out of his temple. And my cry for help before him came into his ears. Now, listen carefully. Everyone say cry. Psalm 5, this word cry is the word sewa. Everyone say sewa. <laughs> sewa. In Hebrew, literally means a cry for help, but it's an, it's an ejaculatory plea or an ejaculatory response or cry for help. Now, the concept of ejaculation is basically the ejection of semen from the body in the moment of sexual climax. Right? It is something that the body does that is uncontrolled by the person beyond a certain point. Go beyond a certain point, a, a motion kicks in that is uncontrollable by you. You can't recall it. Right? Right? So, everyone say cry. Right? It's an ejaculatory plea. It's, it's a spontaneous thing. Uh, when, we, when we use it in grammatical English use, the word could often also indicate something performed quickly and Suddenly, you can say uh, his response to that circumstance was ejaculatory. 
can use it in English uses. What you were saying is, the situation presented itself, and he could not control responses to it because that situation warranted an immediate and quick response. Now, let me just say this to you. I've been sensing a lot in my spirit that God wants to do something very, very quickly. Let me just say, when your cry is ejaculatory, God's response would be ejaculatory to you. He cannot help but help you. He can't help himself but respond to your cry. Okay? Uh, another Greek, uh, a Hebrew writer said it like this. It's something within God that uh, cajoles him or by which he's beckoned to respond to a cry. It's like a baby, newborn baby crying in the house. Everyone leaves what they're doing, comes running for attention, right? You can't ignore that kind of thing. God says, I will not ignore your cry anymore. But you cry, and my response is quick. Everyone say quick. Come on, say it again, quick. You cry, and my response will be, will be quickly to help you. Now, Psalm 22, verse 19 says, But you, O Lord, be not far. You, O my help, hasten. Everyone say hasten. Hasten to my assistance. Okay? Don't use the word assistance, but you can use the word help. Assistance. You're drowning. Assistance. No, just say help. <laughs> the version here says, he hastened to my, he hastened to my assistance. Everyone say hasten. Psalm 70 verse 5. Listen carefully. I am afflicted and needy. Hasten to me, O my God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. And I, I know definitively in my spirit, God is not going to delay with some of the pressing issues for which you experience now. Nehemiah, I shared this with you at the prayer meeting. Nehemiah 6 verse 15 as a witness. Listen carefully. Nehemiah 6 and verse 15. Nehemiah 6 and verse 15. The war was completed on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52, in 52 days. When all our enemies heard of it and the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence and they recognized that this work has been accomplished with what? The work was accomplished with the help of our, our God. Say 52 days. 52 days is less than two months. Nehemiah rebuilt a wall around a whole city in 52 days. He did it though within the midst of trouble. Not so? Because while building, they were being attacked. You know how they built? With sword in one hand and with a trowel in the other. It's like bricks. Daga, bro. Put the brick. Chop, chop. Okay, fight this guy quickly. Next. And the Lord said to me, you're going you're gonna to have to be ambidextrous. It's as you build, you fight. As you build, you, you fight. Because what you're building, the enemy will oppose. And he will bring added trouble. But it will not thwart the building if you are focused on building. Nehemiah could have said, let's stop the building project and simply fight the enemy off. He said, no, we build and defend simultaneously. When the war was finally built, I like this, the enemy lost their confidence and the enemy recognized the work is definitely a work of the hand of God and the help of God upon the people. And I believe God's going to silence all your enemies that are ranting, taunting, and saying, is this of God or is this not of God? And let's see their end. You know, let's see their end. You know, one of the, one of the, the, the scathing, sarcastic remarks that came to Nehemiah and the others, even Ezra, in his day, they said, you're building this wall. If a fox just jumps on it, the whole wall's going to fall down. Read it in the Bible. They mocked them. You are building something that's not going to, to last. But Nehemiah rebuilt the wall in 52 days. And I had this prophetic impression. You know, when I read this in my study of the concept of help throughout the scripture, God said to me, I will help you in 52 days. Now, you know, I seldom share things like this. You know me. I'm more of a teacher, etc. But I know God's going to help us in 52 days. 
I know something powerfully is going to be erected as an edifice of his purposes such that our enemies lose hope and those who don't believe that this work is of God will stand amazed and say, surely God has helped him. Surely the hand of God is, the hand of the Lord is, is with them and their God surely has brought them uh, to this place. Now, I want to encourage you that God is very clearly intent on helping you. But, listen carefully, big buts. You've got to believe. Everyone say believe. Have faith. Right? Have faith. You've got to cry because God responds to a... He says, your cry for help. A cry for help implies humility because he who cries for help recognizes, I cannot do it on my own. I need outside intervention. And God gives grace to the humble, but he will resist the proud. When you say, I need help, you're saying, I'm humble. I recognize the need for, for aid. Now, say it again with me. Cry. I want to encourage you, cry for help. Um, don't be arrogant and say, I don't need it. The cry for help demands that you recognize your need for help and say, God, I'm in a fix here. Unless you come through, I'm not going to make it. I need your quick, speedily intervention within, within the scope of what I'm facing right now. So you must be humble. You must be faithful and not fear and not fearful. You, you must cry for it. You must not grieve the Holy Ghost. I'm just going through the requirements. You not, must not grieve the Holy Ghost through any of the dispositions I've mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4. Another requirement would be you must not be insincere. And I want to, for the record, just go to this quickly. Matthew 15. Go to Matthew 15. Um, the, the case study of the Syrophoenician. I mentioned this in one of the prayer meetings. But for those of you that weren't there, I need to, for the sake of those listening to us globally, I need to reference this from verse 21. Matthew 15 from verse 21. Jesus went there from the coasts of Sorry, Jesus went away there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. The Canaanite from that region came and began to cry out, saying, Everyone say cry. So, has she got the requirement to cry? Yes. The requirement, she, she got a grievous situation, distressful. There's trouble back home. And she says, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly. Everyone say cruelly. It's like she's not just demon-possessed, she's cruelly demon-possessed. The King James says she's grievously demon-possessed. Is this trouble or not? Right? Is this domestic or not? Yes, it's at home. And some of us face huge domestic issues right now, but the Bible says she lived in the, from Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon are coastal cities. The whole region is known for demonic activity. It's no... Uh, coincidence that she has a demonic issue at home because the whole region is invaded by demons. But the Bible says a woman came from that region. Everyone say she came out. Come on, say she came out. Sometimes you need to come out to go back in to bring deliverance to your domestic circumstance. I want to say uh, take a step back. Uh, you must literally do this. And do an appraisal of your situation at home that is grievously vexing you and ask yourself, why? Right? There are certain strategies I believe God can give you to bring resolution to a domestic context that is vexed demonically. It might not be over demonic position. It might be demonic influence or the, the, the damming up of your blessing or whichever. But I'm, take, I'm asking you this morning, come out. Come out. To go back in and to bring deliverance. Do a honest forensic inquiry. Say, why is it like this for so long? Why can't we break this curse? Why is this perpetual? I need to come out to, to go back in. This, this lady said, I'm not staying here. I'm leaving the coast of Tyre and Sidon. I'm going to confront the Lord over this issue. And she came out, the Bible says, and notice how she calls the Lord. She cries for mercy. Deep cry. Have mercy, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Now, 
I want to encourage you. A daughter will ultimately be delivered, if you know the story. Her faith saves the daughter. I want to speak to all parents here. The Lord has told me, watch yourself as a father. Watch yourself as a parent. Because I'm going to confer certain blessings upon your children by virtue of how you model and posture yourself. Deliverance shall come to their context because of how you behave. And I want to ask all parents here this morning, be righteous. Be holy. Don't open the door to your home through your indiscretions. Don't allow your daughter to become grievously demonically possessed because you are failing opening certain doors and giving legitimate entry to Satan to invest and infest your home. Right? I'm picking up in the spirit. I I want to be just true to what the Holy Spirit leads us here. I want to... I would like to... Listen, you're not always accountable for the actions of your kids because they are adults. You you cannot always be held responsible for for what they do. But at least don't let them bear the brunt of what the enemy brings to your home by virtue of what you are doing. Right? Don't give them unnecessary warfare. Cover them. Protect them. Keep yourself holy. Keep yourself righteous. Just bump your neighbor and say, don't open the door. Right? I, don't need, I won't go to this. The scriptures are awash with and replete with examples of the righteous man and his house being blessed and his children being blessed after him. I want you to claim that promise. Amen. For those of you that are struggling, I don't want anybody to be condemned here. If you're struggling with the matter, say, God, maybe I've messed up. I want to encourage you, there's grace this morning. There's a way out that God has for you. God won't leave you in that position. I, I, when I came back away from the study, I came back with a renewed commitment. God, every family in this church must be blessed. Every child in every home must be blessed. We must have a blessed legacy. When the documents are written about us, historical documents, and Randolph Barnwell lived in that era in, in time on the earth. And his legacy after him was such and such and such and such. And see what happened in their context. We must have that legacy. I refuse to have a, a, a negative legacy in the earth. Right? But you've got to reach, leave a rich deposit. Tell your neighbor, leave a rich deposit. You've got to leave a rich deposit in the earth. And this woman, I believe, is sick and tired of demons having their way in her home. How many of you are fed up until you are fed up? You say, not another year, not another week like this. I've had it. And as she reaches boiling point, she comes out to go back in, but she confronts Jesus and says, Lord, have mercy on us, O son of David. But the answer is not forthcoming. It's so unlike Jesus to respond like this. And he did not answer a word. I just said to you, he's going to respond to Christ, and you pull out this, but what about this one? You're crying and no response, right? No response. So his disciples came to him and employed him, saying, send this girl away, because she keeps shouting. Now, I'll tell you, they will keep crying. <laughs> Don't stop crying. Keep. This lady was desperate. She keeps shouting at us. Verse 24 says, but he answered, okay? He answered and said, so this version says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of, of Israel. Verse 25. But she came and bowed down before him, saying what? Lord, what? Now say it like she says it. One, two, three. No, you will not get no response from the Lord with that. Say it like she, one, two, three. No, the Lord's not helping, hearing nothing. Come on, one, two, three. Right? You see, this, this, this is what this means in grammatical use. It's not a soft whisper. It's like this lady is desperate. Lord, help me. She refused. The disciples are saying, send this girl away. He says, I cannot, I cannot respond to her because she's Syrophoenician. It says a Syrophoenician woman came out of the coast, remember? She's non-Jew. She's Gentile. He said, I am sent to the lost sheep of the house of? To Jews. At this stage in my ministry, it's Jewish focused. Right? When I do leave the earth one day, I will say to all my disciples, go into all the world. 
uh, late in the book of Acts, starting Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even the uttermost parts of the earth. But do you know, even when he sent the 70, he says, do not go to the Gentiles. At now, just focus on the, on the Jews. Later, he would say, go to. So at this stage in his ministry, he says, my mandate is to the lost sheep of the house of, of Israel. Okay? Um, he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread, the Jewish, the children's bread, and to throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. She said, truth, Lord, is what the King James says. In her speech, she says, yes, Lord. The New King James or the King James says, she says, truth, Lord. Truth, Lord. But even the little dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the, the master's table. Verse 28, quickly. Verse 28. Jesus answered and said, O woman, great is your what? Did this woman have faith? Do you know Jesus never ever called any Jews faith great? It was only non-Jews in the, in the New Testament he said had great faith. Remember the centurion officer? Who said, don't come to my house, speak the word here, and my servant at home will be healed. He said, I have never found so great faith. No, not even in Israel. Not even in a context that you expect to have great faith. But these guys are outsiders coming in. and Check the faith. Right? Listen carefully. Say quickly. This girl is saying, I know you're, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. She's saying, I know your right now is not the time for the Gentiles. I'm a non-Jew. You, you Jews regard Gentiles as dogs. That's what they call Gentiles. It was a derogatory term. So when Jesus said, when Jesus says to her, I can't take children's bread and feed it to dogs. He's saying, lady, you're a dog in Jewish eyes. Please, he's not being rude. He's being culturally correct. If you understand the culture, this wasn't offensive. It's non-offensive to this lady. All he's saying to her, know your place in reference to us Jews. Right? Know your place. But why did Jesus have a need to correct her? She said to him, Lord, have mercy on us, O son of David. No, only a Jew could address another Jew in reference to his lineage. Culturally speaking, a Gentile couldn't address a Jew with reference to his fatherhood. David, son of Jesse. Right? So when she said, Jesus, son of David, what was she in essence claiming? She was claiming to be Jewish. Jesus had to quickly correct and say, dog, Gentile dog, right? What are you saying to her? He's saying, you cannot, in your cry for help, you cannot posture and parade spirituality. And a representation of what you think you have, but you have nothing of that sort at all. Because I need worship that's in truth. They that worship me must worship me how? In spirit and in truth. Right? And she said, no, you know, I'm paraphrasing. She said, yeah, well, no, fine. <laughs> I accept no arguments. But she says, if I am then the dog... And you Jews are eating at the table. At least there's crumbs falling somewhere. I will take the crumbs that fall from that, that table. And when she, what was Jesus doing? Jesus was giving her a correct perception of a true quality, of the true quality of relationship between herself and him. Do you know how often we parade? Posturing is a serious problem in the church. We, we, we present the right picture too well. And people look at us and say, wow, spiritual. Right? But when you go home, there's nothing. Flat. Right? Especially in worship. Worship is a venue for hypocrisy. You know why? I can stand here and use all the phraseology. Rose of Sharon. Lily of the valley. Lord, you're wonderful. Jesus, thou son of David. You know, use all the phrases. And by phraseology, you wanna, you're claiming, listen claiming to have a particular relationship with him that might be absent, but you're using words to give off that representation. You know what that is? Hypocrisy. 
That's why I wanted to reference the King James. When the Bible says, when she did that, Jesus did not, he actually was not going to address her if it wasn't for his disciples. The disciple says, she's not giving up, send her away. He says, I can't send but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then the Bible says, and she came again. Okay, uh, just go back one verse, two verses later perhaps, where it says, go back. Everyone says she came. King James says she came again. See, she came the first time, got no answer. Dog. Then she says, I'm coming back. <laughs> Tell you that I'm coming back. <laughs> Didn't Arnold Schwarzenegger have a movie or whatever or something? I'll be back. Tell you ever I'll be back. <laughs> it's like, I got a huge no from the Lord. And the disciples, his closest followers are saying, enough is enough. Now go, go home. Go back to Thai and Sidon to your demonically possessed room. Right? Go back there. Just, just accommodate. She, what they're in essence telling her is, live the rest of your life accommodating your present problem and simply survive like that. But this woman was sick to the gills of that problem. How many people had enough of your, of your financial need year in, year out? Right? I've determined I will not lack. I refuse to bow my knee to lack. I've determined all my kids will be blessed. They will be financially well off. I'm demonstrating principles to them of how to do it. Right? I will not lack. Tell your neighbor, I refuse present conditions. Right? But the Bible says, you know this word bow down? Bow down is proscunio. It means, King James says, and she came and she worshipped him, saying, you know, it's a short prayer, Lord help me. Sometimes the most powerful prayers are the shortest ones. He has no attempt to impress him. There's no Jesus, son of David, have mercy. It's plain and simple. Curious. Lord is the Greek word curious. When she said the word Lord, you know what she's saying? I acknowledge your lordship. I acknowledge, I bow down to your authority. Now based upon that, Lord, help me. Right? Repeat after me, Lord, help me. Right? A simple prayer, right? Lord, help Help me, right? Lord, help me. And the Bible says, listen carefully, from that very moment, next verse, uh, verse next verse 28, I think it is, or 27. Previous verse, 27. Oh, no, let's go to 28. Your faith is great. I want your faith to be great. God has been challenging me about growing in faith. Many times he would say to his disciples, Oh, ye of little faith. Right? In Thessalonians, there's proof there. Paul says, Your faith grows exceedingly. And I want to encourage you. You know, the only context for faith to grow in is need. Because your faith can't be, can't be exercised. You know, the more you exercise, the more your muscles grow. Your faith needs to be exercised in the midst of, a, of trouble, in the midst of a need. That's the only time you develop trust and you grow your faith in God. You see, great faith for this woman was developed by a demonically possessed daughter. Sometimes your demonically possessed problems are designed to increase your faith. You say, Lord, I need to really trust you for this one. So God help me. I really want to encourage the house. Well, look at, the, look at the verse 29. A daughter was healed at? At once. Okay, go back, go back. Verse 29. Verse 28. Her daughter was healed at once. Everyone say at once. You see, I don't know how long she contended with this problem, but she came to an at once moment. Immediately. Everyone say quickly. Right? Immediately, quickly. For Nehemiah, 52 days, and the deal was done. Right? 52 days. Hasten to answer me, O Lord, and do not delay, the, the psalmist David said. And this woman is a New Testament example of how quickly help came to her circumstance, listen carefully, without her being in a circumstance. Because she was far removed geographically from home. But what she's doing privately with the Lord got resolutions for her domestic context way back at, at home. God said to me, you have no idea of two things, Randall. How ready I am to help, number one. Come into a revelation of my nature to help you. 
and also what, you, what power you wield in your relationship with me. Exercise great faith, know your authority, know your executive privileges as my firstborn son in Christ. And on that basis, come and I will answer you speedily. Remember the parable in Luke 18? I won't go through it. We went through it in the, Bible, in the prayer meeting, one of the, one, one of the, one of the Tuesdays, the Wednesdays. Remember? The unjust judge and the importunate widow. She needed something sorted out to avenge her adversaries. But she came day in and day out to weigh him down with a request. Like the woman, she kept coming. She kept coming. And the unjust judge says, Though I do not fear God nor regard men, because this woman keeps coming, unless she wear me out with the continual coming, I will grant her her request. Right? Luke 18 List, run about verse 8 or 9. Right? So he's telling them the story. And he says, the unjust judge responded to the importunate cries of the disadvantaged widow, even though he does not fear God, nor has respect for humanity or humans. But he says, now when you pray, you're not praying to an unrighteous judge, you are praying to a Righteous judge is not just judge, he's your father. You are his son, you have relationship with him. There was no relationship between the widow and the unjust judge. And the only reason she got her answers is because of importunity. Kept coming, kept coming. And he says, Jesus said, verse, go back to verse 7, get the context here. Jesus said to them, Will not God bring justice for his? Are you his elect? Yes, you have special standing and privilege with Him. Right? Who cry? Everyone say cry. I want to, I want to, you see, there's no cry, there's no response. Who cry unto Him day and night? And the question is, will He delay long over them? It's a question. He answers the question by saying the following in verse 8. I tell you, He will bring about justice for them. How? Come on, save me quickly. Who wants some quicklies in your life? Right? Uh, God must do some quick works. I'm there right now. Amen? I don't know about you, but certain aspects for which I'm praying, I think, God, I'm tired of mentioning this one. <laughs> I need you to come through. Hallelujah. I need a quick response from the Lord. The requirement, however, is, you know, whenever a sentence starts, however, it like totally takes the punchline out of what he was just said. He's saying, I tell you, you'll do it quickly. We're all saying, yes, quickly, I want to have quick results. However, when the Son of Man comes, what will he be looking for on earth? Will he find faith? Will he find people that can believe him? Will he find people that can trust him? Will your faith position be unbending and, un and unswerving? What kind of faith will you have? Ask your neighbor, how great is your faith? Come on, ask them again. How great is your faith? I've got so many other examples here, but time uh, will never permit us to, to get through it all. I said to you that God's going to give us a sign. Remember? This came to me in a prayer meeting last week, Wednesday, I think. That God's going to give us a sign of how He's going to help us. It's Psalm 86 verse 17, I think, or 16. Psalm 86 verse 17, 16 and 17. Okay, this is our last reference and then we'll close. I'm going to have to finish this. I thought we'd finish it off today. There's a whole bunch of stuff here that I need to release. Okay? I will show you two principles next week. Two more last principles of how to position yourself for this help. For today, I'm saying, don't grieve the Holy Ghost. By doing all of those things in Ephesians 4. Don't grieve him. Don't grieve the person that's going to help you. Be humble and cry for it. Don't be arrogant and say, I don't need it. Listen, until you're desperate, you must become more desperate than you are. This woman in, in Matthew 15 was extremely desperate for a daughter to be made whole. I want to say to you prophetically also, your cries for help are not just going to help you. You're establishing legacies for your generation and for your children that are coming after you. How you position yourself are going to bring great blessing for your children at, at home, you know. I can picture the testimony of this woman when she came home. 
which came back into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Knock, knock, daughter. Daughter comes in sane, sane mind, delivered from demons. Hi, mom. How are you? Wow. She's, the daughter must have said, I don't know what happened, but I'm delivered. And this daughter, the mother must say, no, I know. It's fine. Don't worry. <laughs> it was purely your deliverance. My child came through how I positioned myself before the Lord in absolute sincerity, not in an attempt to impress him or to, uh, to parade spiritually, a sincere cry for a simple Lord help me, a simple Lord help me. And let me just say this to you. I hear the Holy Ghost saying now, she wasn't prepared to access freedom from demonic possession at a later date. Jesus was in essence saying to her, hold it, your time will come. Hold it, your time will come, you Gentiles. She wasn't prepared to wait. She said, no, 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 this can't wait. Tell your neighbor, this one can't wait. How many of you are like that with some, you said, this one can't wait, right? He says, Lord, I need it like yesterday. This one can't wait. And this lady, by a faith position, listen carefully, by a faith position, she reached into her future and she pulled her future into the now. Faith transcends time. You've got to hear this. Faith transcends time. We don't walk by sight. We walk by, by faith. Okay? Transcends time. According to your faith, so be it unto you. Jesus would often say to people, according to how you can respond to the Lord. Now, who wants to pull some things in the future now? Say, Lord, I want it now, right? You see, she got it instantaneously based upon her position. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be as serious as ever before the Lord. Amen? Because God is intent on helping us. Everyone say present help. Say, not just say very present. You know, very present help, substantively, powerfully available to assist in times of in times of, of trouble, okay? Turn to me, Psalm 86, verse 16, and be gracious. Oh, grant strength to your servant. Save the son of your handmaiden. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me might see it and be ashamed because you, O oh Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Everyone say a sign for good. Sign for good. I had many signs this week, especially yesterday, of things I can see in the future. We prayed this prayer a week ago. Remember the prayer meeting? A sign for good. God gave me a thing too this week. Right? Cloud the size of a man's hand. It's all that the, the guys saw. Right? Well, that's all he needed. Elijah's servant. I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And he said, hey, it's going to pour with rain. He saw one small indication of what is to come. Amen. I prophesy over you that God's going to give you a sign for good. God's going to give you an indication of, of his clear intent to bless you. Clear intent to help you. Do you know when Nehemiah completed the wall in 52 days, what happened in Nehemiah 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, up to chapter 12? What happened? A reformation took place. Ezra plays a dominant part in chapter 8 and 9. He comes to the fore. On the podium, he opens a book and he educates the whole nation about biblical principles from the word of the Lord, remember? It says he read in the book for a quarter of the day. They couldn't do that until the walls were built because they were being bombarded by, by foreign enemies. And God said this to me. Listen carefully. I don't know what this means specifically. But God said even in the nation of South Africa, he's rebuilding the walls which once were fallen talking symbolically, so that other more important building processes can take place internally. In, in, in our desire for a building, we still desire a building, right? God said to me, yes, it's going to happen. It's not the objective. It's simply the context you would need in which then to speak forth the principles of my word that will change the lives of people. Amen. How great is your faith? I want to ask the church, how great is your faith? Do you believe God? I'm asking you, do you believe? Because if we don't, if we allow fear, doubt, and unbelief to settle, nothing's going to happen. Help comes by the Spirit of grace to help you in times of need based upon your sincerity, your humility, 
um, your lack, absence of hypocrisy, absence of anything that would grieve the Spirit of the Lord, but coupled together with all of that, you must have great faith. Okay? Great faith that will really give you quick responses in your hour of need such that not only you, but your entire context will be blessed of the Lord. Amen? Say to someone, I'm a blessed man or woman. Say, I have faith. Say, I have great faith. Say, God is my help. Say, God is a present help. Say, He's not an absent help. Say, He's a very present help. Say, He's a very present help in trouble. So that, that aspect of His nature comes to the fore. Where? In trouble, in need. When things are vexing you, you're going to experience the help of the Lord. I have countless examples in my notes. Do you know, not Nehemiah, what was he? Samuel, the Bible says, the Philistines attacked Israel, remember? And he cried to the Lord and they fasted and God protected them and routed all the Philistines, right? And the Bible says, and he erected a stone and he called it Ebenezer, which means, hitherto has the Lord helped us. That stone is called a rock of help. And he commemorates an altar to tell all Israel Without the direct involvement of the Lord in this one, we would by now have all have been dead, defeated. God has been our help against the Philistines. And then it says this, And now the hand of the Lord, in the next verse, was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. As long as Samuel was alive, God sorted that enemy out once and for, for all. But the initial victory was a dramatic, overt display of God's mighty intervention, which he recognized. The Lord has, the Lord has helped me. David, there's a lovely passage in Samuel which says, and he routed this one, and he defeated those, and he slaughtered those. About six verses, numbers are mentioned. And the last verse says, and the Lord greatly helped David against all of his, of his enemies. Who'd like help? Let me see your hand. Who'd like marvelous help? <laughs> Second Chronicles 26. Everyone say God helped him. Guys doing great things. Say, God helped you. Go to the next verse. It says this, and he was marvelously helped. Everyone say, marvelously helped. I want not just help, I want marvelous help. Amen. God's going to help us marvelously. And it says, he was marvelously helped until he became strong. You see, Eric, God told me, I will help you, Randolph. But the moment I help you to a place of strength, and you think you got there by your own, I take my hand off you. He said, now do, do, do stuff by yourself. He was marvelously helped until he was strong. Lift your hands to the Lord. Let's just pray simple prayers. I want to pray long. Like, I'll pray like this woman, Lord, help me. Come on, lift up your voice. Say, Lord, help me. Let's practice it. Say, Lord, help me. Come on, say it again. Lord, help me. Say, Lord, help us. Loving Father, we just ask you. Our faith is built up based upon this word. We don't want to be long in our requests for you, but hear the cry of the hearts of your servants that are in distress and in trouble, in time of need. Help us, God. Help us. You are a very present help, abundantly available with tremendous power to help. I thank you for that. A very present help in time of trouble. Today, we acknowledge that without you, we can do nothing. Left to ourselves, we're not going to find a way out of the vices that beset us right now. God, I ask in Jesus' name, even now, help us, help me, help my wife, help my children, help my business, help me in my workplace, help me on the sports field, help me to love, help me to forgive. Let your grace be imparted to us even now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to every single one. I ask, Holy Ghost, you are the comforter, the paracletos, the one who helps. Come and administer help to every one of us. To those of us that need wisdom, help us. Help us to see the answers to perplexing problems. Give us a way out. Give us marvelous help like you gave Uzziah. Give us help against our enemies like you gave David, Lord. Give us help against the Philistine fleshly tendencies that we face would help us against the fleshly Philistine nature. Let your hand be against that all the days of our lives. 
I pray in Jesus' name. We ask for quick help. In 52 days, the blessing of Obadidim in three months be our portion as we've heard. Quick help, God, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Our faith is great. We will not defer nor postpone any longer, but we reach out into the future. God, we are so desperate, so hungry, so desirous. We, some of us need answers this week. Tomorrow, God, in Jesus' name, help us. Help us, God. You are very present help. We lift up our eyes to the hills. Where does our help come? Our help comes from you, maker of the heavens, maker of the earth. We extol you, possessor of the earth. I bless you, possessor of the heavens. Send help now from your sanctuary. Send help, the rod of your strength from out of Zion. I pray in Jesus' name. Help us. Amen.